Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Our Bible reading today comes from Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, um, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Good morning, everybody. Have you ever found yourself suddenly overcome with feelings of despair, doubt, isolation, rejection, just instantly, out of nowhere? One minute you're happy, smiling, everything's good. The next minute, everything's terrible. Has it ever just overwhelmed you? just like an uncomfortable silence. Well, as you all know now, if you didn't already know, I'm starting here as a magnification and membership partner. And it's really exciting, especially as all the teachers are about to go back to school and I don't have to deal with kids anymore. Or parents. No more reports. No more parent-teacher interviews, no more school camps. That said, we did have an elders retreat that was kind of like a school camp, but that's okay. So I've spent the last five years at Cairo Christian School as a teacher, and it's a brilliant place. 
The first thing that hit me about Cairo was the community. It's not just a school. I was there for five years as a teacher and before that for two years as a student teacher. And in my first week as a student teacher, I was asked to help with the grade two sleepover. No pressure, you can say no, but if you say no, you'll never get a job here. Not, I don't know if that was the case, but I said yes. I thought, let's do all the right things. I get involved in the school, make a good effort, make a good impression, because I wanted to work there. So I went to the grade two sleepover. And a week in, as a student teacher, I'm there with two grade two teachers and half a dozen parents and 40-odd grade twos. And I say 40-odd because they were all odd. <laughs> oh, there was something about them. No, they were lovely kids. They really were. But within the first half an hour, every single one of those parents had come to talk to me. Not just, hi, I'm so-and-so, nice to meet you now, go on with my day, but actually talk to me, have a conversation, get to know me, why was I there? Apart from the fact that I was a strange young bloke hanging around with their kids, they actually genuinely wanted to know about me. And within half an hour, I felt like I had six new friends. And to this day, some of those people, I still count as friends. It's just an incredible atmosphere. Different to other schools that I'd been to as a student teacher where I'd walk into the staff room and people would physically turn away from me. There was a spare table over there for the student teachers. And if there was multiple student teachers, fantastic, you had someone to talk to. If not, bad luck. So Cairo had this incredible atmosphere and it flowed through the staff, it flowed through the families. It was an awesome place to be. I can't get that through enough. I love that school. And it really was with mixed emotions that I've left there to come and work here. Now, it's, it's bizarre now that on, on a work day, I sometimes see two or three people. I'm used to seeing eight or 900 people a day. So I'm getting my head around that. So flash forward to last year sometime. Can't remember the exact day. But I was at school, I had a fantastic day, Kids were great, had great conversations with staff who are actually friends. And I got out at lunchtime, got in the car to go for a quick drive and get some lunch. I'm driving down Bald Hill Road, trying to avoid the dump trucks that think that's their road. Heading into town, all I'm thinking is, where will I go for lunch today? Which cafe? And what are they going to have? Sometimes they've got pasta, curries, who knows? So I chose a cafe, I went in excited, let's see what they've got. No idea what I bought, but it was tasty. And I'm driving back to school, all's good. It's day like today, probably not quite as hot, but sunny, beautiful. Nothing wrong, not a care in the world. The instant I drove through the school gates, that changed. I was overwhelmed by anxiety. Now this is something that I have dealt with throughout my life, but I wasn't prepared for it. It doesn't normally hit me that quick. It was instant and it forced me to stop driving. I had this voice going through my head. No one wants you here. No one here likes you. The parents don't want you near their kids. The staff don't want to talk to you. You should just go and hide in your office and eat your lunch, leave as quickly as you can at the end of the day. It doesn't match up with what I know of Cairo. With a bunch of people in this room who are a part of that community. 
but it was overwhelming. There was despair. I was downhearted. I wasn't sure what to do about it. But much like the psalmist in these psalms, something twigged. And I thought, this isn't right. These thoughts aren't from me. They're not healthy thoughts, and they're certainly not from my God. They're from somewhere dark. So I did the only thing I knew how to do in that situation. I know how to do a few other things. It's okay. I prayed. I asked God to take away these thoughts. I thanked him for the blessing that Cairo was in my life, or is still, thankfully. And I reminded myself during that prayer of all the awesome things about that school. The incredible kids I had in my class. The incredible friends I'd made on staff. The parents who I could talk to as friends and easily talk to them about their kids, except for Luke and Kim. Annika's a real handful. (laughs) So I prayed. I asked God to take away those thoughts and I asked him to help me to get out of the car, walk into the staff room, and then I did exactly that. And as I walked through the doors into the admin building and down the hallway into the staff room, those cares melted away. I walked in, I saw a table full of people. Now, the staff room at Cairo has got four tables. One's for the aides. If you try and sit with the aides, knives come out. That might just be me. But at the other end of the room is a table that has four chairs around it normally until recess or lunchtime, and then there's about 50. And so I shoved my way in there and sat down, and it was great. Instantly felt comfortable and happy joining the conversation. It was like that incident had never happened. And it was because I'd prayed. I questioned those thoughts, and God answered my prayer. So as I was reading through the Psalms over the last couple of months, deciding what to preach on today, I got to these Psalms. I thought, summer series, life real. Life real, real life. I read these Psalms, I thought, nah, it's a summer series. We've got to be upbeat, energetic, encouraging. So I kept moving, looking for something else to grab my attention. And nothing grabbed my attention. I kept coming back to these Psalms. And eventually it hit me. This is real life. I'm not unique in this. I would hazard a guess that most, if not all of you, have had a time in your life where you haven't been happy. Some of you may feel that way right now. And if you are feeling that way, I hope that today's message will help you to see the glory of God again and to understand how we can get out of these things. So, here we are. The great news is that Psalm 42 and 43 is incredibly encouraging. Now, there's a few instances in the Psalms where, for whatever reason over the years, a single Psalm has been split into two. And this is one of those instances. Psalm 43 doesn't get a heading. It flows straight out of 42, and it has that refrain three times throughout. I love the wording in the NLT. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Saviour and my God. 
So that day at school, as I sat there, this is what went through my head. It wasn't this psalm, but it was the same feelings. I had to question what was going on. I felt downcast and discouraged. And that's what we need to do at times. We need to question our feelings. Because if they don't make sense and they don't match up with what we know, something else is going on. This is a psalm of lament. There's different categories of psalms or genres. Different commentators came up with different ideas around this, but lament is pretty well set. They all agree on that. A lot of the psalms are laments. They're the opposite of the hymns, the praise ones. One book that I read called How to Read the Psalms, great book if you're interested. I found a description of three types of complaints that can be found in laments. One, the psalmist may be troubled by his own thoughts and actions. Two, he may complain about the actions of others against him, his enemies. And three, he may be frustrated by God himself. In the very next chapter of, uh, paragraph of that book, the author says, Psalm 42 and 43 is all of them. Most Psalms have one, maybe two. Here we've got all three. Now, it's a hot day. I'm not going to go through this in too much detail and try and draw out all three of those things. But what we do want to understand is that in this psalm, he deals with his own thoughts and actions. That's the refrain that we come to time and again. He deals with complaints about his enemies. In verse 3, he says, My enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? And he complains about his sense of abandonment by God. Verse 9, O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Now, the psalmist in this situation is removed from society. He may even be exiled from his community, shunned, cast out, living in the mountains, away from everything. But being so far removed from everything, the one thing he longs for most of all is God. The first verse, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. There's different interpretations around this verse as to why the deer is so thirsty. Maybe from being chased by hunters or predators. Maybe just because it's a drought. Streams have dried up. There's not a lot of water going around. Either way, we're talking about an incredible thirst. Worse than what we can imagine. A longing for water. It's the only thing in the world that can fix what's going on. This is how the psalmist feels about God. He longs for God. Now, John Stott explains that it should be the experience of all Christians to thirst and hunger for God. But this is on another level. Everything's gone wrong, full Murphy's Law, everything that can go wrong, will go wrong, has gone wrong. But still, the complaints are there, but tinged with longing for God's saving grace. Verse 2 says, when can I go and meet with God? 
Commentators agree that this is pointing to the festivals in Jerusalem. Three times a year, the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem. It was a time of celebration, jubilation, and worship in amongst casts of thousands. I can only imagine what the atmosphere was like. Much better than the youth vision concerts I went to when I was a kid or camps where we spent all week worshipping and it was a spiritual high. I can imagine these festivals in Jerusalem were immensely better. So, as he's longing for God, he's remembering what he has been through. And it was the lack of communal worship that aggravated this sense of exile and abandonment that the psalmist felt. So what can we learn from this? But well, we all know that prevention's better than a cure, right? Ask any nurse, Danielle, why treat the symptoms without treating the problem? If you just treat the symptoms, it's going to come back again. So let's deal with the problem. We can safeguard ourselves by being in a community with one another, worshipping together regularly and engaging in genuine relationships with each other. I have a tendency to go on about this. It's because it means a lot to me. It's clear from the Bible that this is how God intended us to be. We're not designed to simply coexist in this world. We're designed to embrace each other, to be in community with each other beyond our own families, beyond our closest friends, but to embrace the communal aspect of our church. Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is what sets us apart. It's what makes people stop and take notice and get curious as to what is different about us. And that love must drive us to get to know each other to the point that we can pick up on the subtle things when someone is feeling a bit down or pull them up when they're wandering off course in the wrong direction. That love starts by being immersed in the Word together and worshipping God together. It starts here on a Sunday. We also need to protect each other from anything that may come at us. We live in a time where it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian. It feels like at the moment everyone with an opinion is yelling. And that's fine as long as you're not a Christian. As soon as we whisper, we're shouted down. So we've got to protect each other from that. Just like the psalmist in these psalms. People are gunning for us. It's been going through my head a little bit lately. Am I crazy? Is this the right time in the history of the world to get into ministry? And the answer is yes. Because more than ever, this world needs God. And the world's not going to find God in our church if we don't live a life that shows God's love. 
But there will come times when we're downhearted. Even the heavyweights in the Bible went through that. Elijah prayed for God to kill him. He wouldn't do it himself, he couldn't. But he begged God to end things for him. Now, if Elijah can get to that point, then certainly if we're feeling a bit down, things are really not going well. That doesn't mean we're failures. So what do we do? The example is set for us in this passage. During this time of exile, the psalmist feels that God has abandoned him. He remembers the times when God was present. So too, we must remember the times when we, are, when we were on that spiritual mountaintop. We must recall those times when we came joyfully into his presence in the company of the faithful. I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller recently, and he was talking about experiences of closeness with God for new Christians. He said, not me, him, if you've got a problem with it, take it up, that whether we want to admit it or not, our earliest experiences of closeness with God are not our own. They're actually other people's experiences. They tell us about them, and we live those experiences vicariously. It feels like we're doing it ourselves, but really, we're just imagining what these people are going through. And over time, we learn to experience that ourselves. As a new Christian, we may not completely understand what it is, but we do experience it. And just as we experience it by listening to people when we're young, we can experience that again by remembering those times. We can remember those good times when we're going through a bad stretch. And we can remind ourselves of how good it was and yearn for that to come again. It gives us hope that where we're at isn't where we're staying. We heard recently from Luke, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's a passage. Sometimes it feels longer than others, but it's got an end point. We will get back to the spiritual mountaintop. And we need to help each other to do that. The most important thing that we need to understand from this psalm comes from the refrain, essentially the chorus of this song. We need to question what's going on when we're feeling down. Tim Keller also talked about three different perspectives on depression. There's the spiritual perspective. Some of us have heard this before. When you're feeling depressed, someone says to you, oh, you just need to read your Bible and pray more. That's all the problem is. Do that, you'll be fine. Which is fantastic. Not always the most helpful thing in that moment. Definitely part of the issue. The physical perspective is that there may actually be a chemical imbalance that needs to be treated by medication. Some people think that's the only reason. And then there's the emotional. Oh, you're just feeling sad. You need to do something to take your mind off it and make you happy again. You'll be all right. Smile. All three of these things together are what we need. Joy will come 
with those spiritual experiences. Joy will come from community. So, we need to question what's going on in our brains. Question those feelings. Where are they coming from? Is this actually a terrible situation? If it is, it may need to be fixed. If you are actually at a place where no one likes you, for your own sake, it's probably a good idea to look for another option. But if rationally you know that that's just a lie, then cast out those thoughts. Ask for God's help. Those feelings of abandonment can come from within us. And if they're coming from within us, we're not actually abandoned. God is with us wherever we go. As the psalmist draws this passage to a close, he looks upward and seeks God's help. If you're in a place where you're feeling downheartened, pray this with me as I read it. The psalmist says, Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God. So as the worship team comes up, I want to leave you with the words of a song we sing here somewhat often, Our God, as an encouragement that whatever you're going through and whatever may come in time to come, God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Our God is healer and awesome in power. He is our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that whatever trials may come, whatever persecution may come in the future, you are greater than all of it. Lord, we thank you for the example that's set in the Scriptures, the example that we can live our life by, and the example that shows us that we're not alone, we're not unique when things go wrong. Lord, people have been through it all before, and you have shown that you are great and glorious. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you that your word is eternal. And go with us this week as we go out into the world. Amen.